Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for being with us here today. I'd like to thank Rich for being in the studio with me and engineering the show. And today, I know I've been doing a long series on surviving late-stage capitalism, but I'm taking a break from that tonight. We're going to look at child protective services and discuss how well they serve families and, and children in both the state and here in Mendocino County. My guests are Michelle Chan. She's from an organization called California Rise. And my second guest will be Trent James. Trent is a former law enforcement officer who is now a private investigator. And we will be interviewing them on CPS procedures. And, and uh, well, first we're going to have our first song, and then we'll come back with Michelle. Go ahead, Rich. Thank you so much for being here with us. Your children are not your children. Try to be like them, but you cannot make them just like you. Okay, that was Sweet Home in the Iraq with their singing rendition of the great Kalonji Brown poem on children. That will be a subject of the show tonight. Our first guest is Michelle Chan. She's with California Rising. We're going to specifically look at agencies and their treatment of children and families in both the state and local level. Do we have Michelle here? Yes, I am here, Chris, and thank you so oh. much for having me on the show, and also thank you so much for bringing awareness and covering this issue. Oh, really, really, really appreciate being with us here tonight in Mendocino County. Uh, Michelle, tell us a little bit about your organization and things that you do. Okay, so uh, my organization is uh, California Families Rise. Uh, we started out um, as a parent activist group called Parents Against CPS Corruption. We're now a nonprofit. Um, and we started because I, I actually had an open case at the time, and there was gross and criminal misconduct in my case. And as I, I went to, I tried to report it to the police and to the FBI and to everyone that would listen, and they all said that they, it wasn't their jurisdiction or, or like what the FBI said. They said that it had to be like, you know, systemic. And I mean, there was, um, I just, I, I just, I, there was nobody that would listen to me. So I went out and I realized, I started talking to other parents and I found out that what happened to me was happening to other parents and it was the same handful of bad players in every single case. It was um, parents weren't getting served with their papers, people, you know, attorneys were going to court without their clients while their clients were like in jail or at times where they couldn't actually be physically in court and they were having their parental rights terminated. Uh, I mean, just a lot of, a lot of things that individually it didn't really show anything specific but put together it showed as when you when you look at it as a whole it really was quite disturbing so i decided that we would just that i would try to organize everyone together and that if we all stood together that everything that we could fight for our rights and get our kids back and so here we are all these years later and and we're a nonprofit we've had a lot of success actually um in our in in our efforts we started out in in when we started out in San Francisco, we were protesting for um, the removal of a judge, and she was removed. Uh, my son did come home, and and the original members of the group did have better outcomes. And after that, we went into uh, I went into Contra Costa County and did it all over again. And this time, it was just it, it was like a runaway train. So this is an issue that really exists, and it, it wouldn't be a runaway train if it wasn't a problem. And it really isn't. What most people think they know about CPS is probably wrong. So there's this inherent idea that the agency can do no wrong, but that's not the case at all. 
The CPS is quick to remove children from parental custody, often on scant evidence and in violation of state and federal law. And the bottom line is CPS too often fails to make sincere efforts to improve outcomes for children and families. And why is this happening? Well, there's a lot of theories, but the most prevalent is that there are there's federal incentives that that are paid out to state and local governments. Um, foster care is a multi-billion dollar a year industry, and the more children, uh, and in order for local and state governments, uh, local and state governments to get that money, there there have to be a certain amount of removals. Um, you know, I, I want to talk about some of the specific issues. Because that's why you asked me here, Chris. Yes, yes please. Uh, <laughs> um, and stop me if you have any questions uh, or you want to uh, just feel free to chime in and and, and stop me and ask away. Because okay. I, I realize that I talk to people that are impacted a lot and we already know this jargon. And a lot of people that are listening may not. Uh, yes. So I, wanna, yes, so first I, I, wanna, I do yeah. want to be sure that we make this digestible. I know that people are pretty upset by what's going on here. And... I I can speak. What motivated me to do this show is I am aware. Of, I know a couple of people that have cases right now working through Mendocino County, and they would not be interviewed about their cases. They're just so terrified they could make, come out with worse outcomes if they spoke publicly about what they're experiencing. That's why I wanted to have you on because you can speak to how many people are. Are left in a feeling in a very ambiguous situation by these these uh, CPS workers, and uh, well, please continue to tell us a little bit generally what you have discovered and what people go through here. Sure. Well, first, I want to touch on what you said about about this control that the system has on parents, and to be honest, that is the very reason why child protective services has gotten out of hand. You know, they they have absolute power over parents almost. And because the parents, the cases are confidential, and if parents speak out about what's going on in their cases, they're just going to be retaliated against. But it's this, it's this really vicious cycle that, I mean, I did stand, I decided to go ahead and break that cycle because I really felt that so we needed someone needed to stand up to them. And yeah, I was retaliated against, and it was fight of my life. And it's, I, I'm, I've, it was a miracle that my son came home. It really was. Uh, and I want to say, honestly, when parents go out and they fight back, they will be retaliated against. But I do believe that if everyone stands up for their rights, if everyone says, hey, this is enough is enough. We have this system is not helping children. It is supposed to be in place to help children, not to tear their families apart over minute and scant issues to place them in Foster care are in way worse situations. What kind? Um, of, what kind of Michelle? What kind of issues do you see children be removed for? Okay. Well, first, I want to say that um, before I talk about what they're removed for, so I want to start by saying that the CPS system is a system with the lowest burden of proof requirements out of all the court systems in the United States, and it's completely. It's not what people think when they watch TV or when they, you know, unless you've been in it or if you work in the area. There's really kids can be parents are guilty until proven innocent. The children can be removed based on allegations alone before they've ever even had a chance to defend themselves in court. Their kids are removed and they basically and all they're doing from there is proving their innocence and their kids are. I mean, people really don't understand this. And a lot of parents with that kind of lack of due process, 
there are a lot of innocent parents that really, you know, that are actually good, loving parents and, and everything's misunderstood and the kids are just wanting to go home. Um, so I, and you'd be surprised what I've heard, uh, Michelle, I, I can weigh in with a statistic here that was gave it to me by a local county person here. <clears throat> they in this county, Mendocino, the definition of significant risk for abuse by Mendocino County Courts by the definition of is ten percent. So they would detain kids on ten percent risk of possibly being injured. But that's how fine they split it. Just a ten percent they say you ten percent risk and they can take your kids. That's insanity when you think about it, that the 90% of kids, I mean, removal, removing a child from their home is abuse, one of the worst, most traumatic, most abusive things you can do to a child to begin with, especially small children. And 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 if that 10% risk, is that enough? How about the 90%? And I mean, I know, so I'll tell you, I will give you some other examples. Um, I mean, a lot of victims, a lot of victims of domestic violence. So what a lot of, there are a lot of domestic violence cases. And, and the domestic violence cases are really upsetting because they actually remove the children from the safe parent, the victim, and they charge the victim with failure to protect. And, and what's insane about a lot of these domestic violence cases, this is what I see. I see this in so many domestic violence cases. They actually remove the child from the mother who was abused and who was the victim of domestic violence. In some cases, even like physically abused and in, in, in like, I mean, like serious abuse and, and they end up returning the child to the abuser and not the victim. It's happened a lot. It happened in my case, actually. And, and uh, you know, so that's one of them. There's the dirty house allegations. And, I mean, those can be really... Um, I've, so the dirty house allegations are really questionable because what is what, what do they consider a dirty house? And uh, some, some of the more egregious cases I know, I know someone that was, whose child was removed, whose children were removed because she was accused of over-medicating her children that had mental health problems. And what happened after she over, when they removed the children, um, they, they actually took, and I, I've spoken to the child, the child is now um, 18 and home with the mom. And, and she said that when they, they took her off of all of her medication and she had serious withdrawals and she almost died and they ended up putting her right back on the same medication and even more medication and then they didn't give they then they didn't give the kids back to the mom and they said you have mental health problems but they removed the child for one reason it turned out that reason wasn't true and then they still don't give him back that happens a lot with the system they'll they'll come into your house because of uh, some absurd call and they'll remove them move the children based on one allegation and even when that allegation turns out to be untrue they'll keep the children for some other some other reason and and there is just so much there is so way too much discretion for what the social workers and the courts can do that i mean they really almost don't even need a reason they can they've i've seen them invent reasons i've heard some cases that are i know one case with a woman she was she was the county contra costa county had put her in a um in like a motel with her daughter i don't remember why but they they were paying for it and it was like this really shady she, it was the cheapest motel, and other people that I know that are from Contra Costa County said that motel is like a hub for like trafficking. Like a lot of prostitutes stay there and pimps. And she said that you know one day she was she, she left and she drove out there. She was a pretty girl with a pretty daughter, and she was being followed. And she was driving and driving and driving, and then she called the police. She said someone's following me, and so the police come, 
And and they, they arrest her because they said that she must be crazy. No one's following you. I swear to God that really happened in this case. And she still doesn't have her kids today. She went back to her other state. And another Contra Costa story that is just staggering. A, um, a girl, a woman that I know that has a seizure disorder. She had a seizure. And they called 911 and the police and the paramedics came. And they just assumed that she was on drugs. But they didn't drug test her. And after she settled down, they took her kid. They said, well, you had an overdose. And she's like, no, I have a seizure disorder. And no matter how much evidence she showed that she had a, a, you know, a seizure disorder, they would not return the child. They still they still insist that she had she was on drugs and they have no drug tests to prove it because they never drug tested her. And I, as far as I know, those children are also still in the system and they, they were removed from her during the pandemic and the entire family was not able to see their kids. They weren't able to see the grandparents weren't able to see them. They were doing zoom, zoom, uh, they were doing zoom visits and the children were young. So a lot of these cases, I mean, I've, I've just heard some, it's, it's really sad what's going on. And a lot of people really have no idea. Why, why do you think that people are unaware of these cases? Well, for one, there is uh, there's a lack of transparency in the system because it is uh, these cases are confidential, and uh, so that's a major major issue. I I personally think the confidentiality should be lifted, and names should be you know I mean identifying information should be redacted because it is honestly it's when a tree falls and no one hears it, it's my firm opinion that it doesn't make a sound, and and the same thing is going on in the courts when misconduct negligence and in some cases even criminal violations of law but no one knows about it it's like it didn't happen so there's this lack of transparency but there's also a lack of accountability and oversight so we have the lack so these there's a lot of misconduct a lot a lot of major major like bad things that happen that should just should never happen and i mean at but social workers lawyers and judges are rarely, very rarely held accountable for their um, for any harm that they've caused to children or, and families. Um, Why do and you, it doesn't matter. I'm yes? sorry. Let me do it for a second here. Why do you think this the social worker would 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 carry on in that way? Uh, there's different reasons. I mean, for one, there's there, there's there's financial incentives. The federal government pays out. I mean. It's a multi-billion-dollar-a-year industry. Counties get each county gets they get probably millions of dollars a year, and but except there has to be a certain amount of adoptions uh, in order to get that money, and that's that's as per the Adoption and Safe Families Act. So that's that's one driving incentive, and another another theory that me and other advocates have is that there's jobs. I mean, if they're removing children, it's there's a lot of there it, it necessitates the need for the systems to be larger and and there's other reasons and I, I i don't know it's to be honest those are some answers i still don't know because i've come across there are some social workers and foster parents that are just have hearts of gold they're great people but i have also come across some social workers and lawyers and and foster parents that are just rotten to the core and i i can't wrap my head around some of these cases where they just wouldn't let a child go home to their parents when the child wants to go home and nothing happened to them. So, but the financial um, incentive, yes. 
I also would uh, offer another theory, perhaps. I'm wondering if social workers, if they have unresolved issues from their own childhood, they project them onto the case. I wonder if they do that sometimes. Right, definitely. That 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 is another one, and I, I've I've seen that one happen. And and yeah, there's uh, there's a lot. I there's some there's some people that work in the system that have a bias against parents. I've seen some some cases where the social workers or the lawyers have a bias against a certain type of parent. Um, and I've also come across some. I, I know one lawyer, one court-appointed attorney who just just he just hates parents. I can just tell. Like he looks at parents and just venom drips from his. Like, you know, it's his aura. He just doesn't not like parents. And so that that's definitely a very, very, uh, that's definitely one of the factors. I would agree with that. So is there anybody, a, a social worker, is there anybody looking over their shoulders to see if they're properly vetting these cases? cases? No one. That's, an, that's, and I can really say that. And very few, very few, at least in California, I really think there are very few jurisdictions. I mean, it's, the social workers are—they get away with murder. I mean, they—they they almost really do. And and the only the only avenue that parents have to complain is to call the ombudsman. And unfortunately, the foster care ombudsman is paid by and works for the same so-called boss as the social work agency, the California Department of Social Services. So it's not really an oversight avenue if it's under the same umbrella. All that really happens when you when parents have if there's misconduct if they report something that happened in a case that shouldn't have happened is the ombudsman normally just calls the social worker and tells them that they the parent called and and so what is that so when you complain about something they just get they just tell on you I mean it's it's really even in my case uh, the social worker had forged my signature which I know for sure to be a violation of a penal code and I could not for the life of me and I tried. I went to the police probably 20, 30 times. They would not take a report. And they kept saying that, well, because she was working for the city, it wasn't a crime. And I'm like, that's even worse. If she committed a crime and she was working for the city, and they said, well, you should call her supervisor. And I'm like, oh, my God, what's wrong with this? And and there was really, I mean, I, I so I have... I have big problems with that, with, with the, you know, that lack of accountability. I think it would make a really big difference in the system if people were held accountable. And I mean, there's a lot of laws, the way the laws are, there's a lot of laws that protect or intended to, that, that should be protecting children, but they're not applied the way they should be. They're not interpreted and, and no one's holding anyone accountable when mistakes or misconduct happens. So do you see, do you see the, any chance of that changing? Do we have any any luck talking to legislators and and getting getting some oversight into the system? That would be that's great. I mean, I, I you know right now actually, so compared to when I started out with this work in twenty or late like uh, the winter of 2016, 2017, things have really changed a lot. I feel like legislators are really listening now. And I, I feel like, I mean, I do believe that change is on the horizon, but I believe that the change needs to be substantive. The system is really, really flawed. And, and, and there's a lot of the legislative reform that's happening right now. There's more rule changes and rule changes, but that's not what we need. We need accountability and we need oversight. We, when, when a social worker makes a mistake or when harm, when, when, if harm comes to a child due to the negligence or misconduct, 
of the social worker, that social worker should be reprimanded in some way. I mean, it's the only job I know on this planet that when they make a mistake, nothing happens. So, I mean, how could, how could all the laws in the world, all the legislative reform in the world is irrelevant if they're already not following the laws that are in place now? So I'm really hoping that there will be a legislature, legislator that would be willing and that would have the balls to come out and, and, and do something significant that can really make a change. I believe it can happen, but I think it, ha it can't happen in small steps. It has to be something significant. Someone needs to pick up the torch, so what you're saying, it sounds like. Yes, exactly. So how much, how much does the government make when they put a kid into foster care? You said the federal payment comes in here. Yeah, I, so I could be wrong on this specific number, but I I heard from somewhere, I think Dorothy Roberts, who is a, a professor, she wrote, uh, she's published a few books. Um, she's uh, a leading boy, voice in this in this work. Um, she wrote, and this was at least 10 years ago, though, um, that they get around $4,000 for every adoption. And, and that adds up to a certain, to like millions of dollars, but they only get the money if they reach a certain threshold. And she does have it. I don't have the specific numbers, but she had it at exactly four thousand from the the excerpt of her book that I read recently. Um, and and it doesn't sound like that much, but it is. This is a multi billion dollar a year industry. So I don't know. I'm I'm because I live here in Mendocino County, and I'm wondering how much money the county gets when they have kids in foster care. We could probably find that out through a public records request. Um, I suppose, yeah. But I don't, yeah, I don't know exactly the number, but it's, I mean, I think there's, there's, it's a, it's a good amount, especially Mendocino County, from what I understand, there's not a whole lot of industry, um, and, and the economy is not doing that well. Um, no, we're not. Yeah, so this money, this, those federal payments are really important. They, they can't afford to, I mean, there's some counties that really rely on that money, especially the smaller counties. Well, that could be us. I don't know. Yeah. I, I haven't researched that. I've just been. Uh, I'm really hoping that tonight's show I w will trigger a local journalist to pick up the torch here because the things I'm finding out, and I'm just a one hour a month volunteer programmer on a community station, and I, I really like to see the some transparency here. So that's yeah, if, I, if anybody's out there listening, if anybody's out there listening, please get in touch with me if you're willing to pick up that torch and. And look at what's going on in our county, because it's more than I can handle. That's for sure. <laughs> so yeah, and, and you're absolutely right, people. We need help. I mean, I'm so glad that you're taking this up, and because there's it's such a big problem that there's. I mean, when I since I've started this, I've been overwhelmed. There is it's it's it is at least five times or a hundred times or a thousand times just in my jurisdiction larger than I can handle. So we need all hands on deck. And, and, you know, I mean, that's the only way we can get this, get, you know, get this done. And I think it can. I am so thrilled that you are taking an interest in this. And, and that's what we need. We need people that are impacted, but also just good people that are willing to uh, shine a light on this yeah, from so a what, very, from what, an ethical. Well, what I see our county defines a 10 percent harm is, is grounds take a child away. I've raised many children. You know, you're all out of bed and you were 10 percent harm right, right away. <laughs> Any household. Ten percent. That's that is that's really staggering. that's a really low bar. How did she tell me again how you found that um, that that statistic out? Um, somebody from the county sent it to me. It wasn't PRA. It was just somebody wanted to, to help me with the show, 
And there's people, there's people, they, they don't want to go public either because they have jobs. They have, they have things they need to be careful of. They have need to, so they're afraid of retaliation. The whole, everybody's afraid of retaliation. The parents are, the social workers that want to do some good, they're afraid of retaliation. The parents, the lawyers of the parents, they say, don't say anything because it could get worse for you. The right. whole system seems really, there's a lot of darkness there. <laughs> Right, and but at the same time, it's just getting worse and worse and worse, and and I I'm really really staggered by that statistic that it's ten percent. That means nine out of ten, and by admission, nine out of ten of the children they're removing are probably fine. Well, you I could, mean, you could certainly say if you're taking out for ten percent, but you certainly are traumatized if they're put into foster care, taken from the parents. That's very traumatizing right there. Yeah. That's one hundred percent. Yeah, you know when my son did finally come home, he woke up in the night screaming for so many months. Oh. It was the most traumatizing thing. Oh. I mean, if you had heard, I don't know. I never recorded it, but I can still hear it in my head. And if you can only imagine a kid coming home and screaming and having nightmares every night and saying oh. that he that he had these nightmares that everything. Was his, he was at home and the whole house was crumbling around him and he just, it was just this recurring nightmare he had and when he screamed he sh- his screams, I mean you've never heard a child scream like I heard him scream and he screamed every night oh Michelle and I'm so that's sorry what's happening. that's what's happening to the children whatever they claimed was going on or whatever risk that he was in he was never abused or neglected no one claimed that and in fact everyone that it had anything to do with my case admitted that I'm a great mom and that he loves me. So I, I want to understand what was the purpose. And my son isn't the only child that was in that, you know, that, that has been, that has been harmed. I just happen to be someone that can talk about it. And so that's what's, that's the side that people aren't understanding when they think that to say that we're fighting for family preservation means to fight against child abuse. No, that's not true. We are fighting for the best interests of children. If a child is being abused, like, you know, really abused, do something about it. Remove that child. And they're not either. I I also know a lot of cases like the Gabriel Fernandez's. And they don't do anything. So they either do do nothing when they should, or they do way too much when they have no business. And I want to understand the system is just deeply flawed, deeply flawed. And I really, really hope that a lot more good people come forward to help us tackle it i believe that we can we can get it done but I, we, we will need support from the public tell us a little bit more about your organization california families rising okay so we are um we are an advocacy organization we support we create um we're a peer support network but we also advocate for law change and and um and also fight for parents rights and i mean and honestly we're one of the I mean, it's arguable that we were probably the one of one of the first organizations really to start looking at this issue as parents' rights. And a lot of before that, it was people didn't really look at it like, like that. I mean, you know, parents' rights really are not ant- antithetical to children's rights. So when we think parents' rights, it means also family preservation. So we fight for uh, we we do we do a lot of awareness building. We also do a lot of I do a lot of like independent media stuff, and I I, I do a lot of work to trigger narrative change so that people I tell stories and 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 I just I just get the word out there and advocate as much as much as I can 
and meanwhile also create a space for parents. Michelle, our next guest is, is going to join us now, Trent James. Hi, Trent. Thank you so much for, uh, for being here Do and for doing a- this and for sharing this, uh, sharing this about this issue. Yeah, hi. How are you? Um, hope you're both doing well. And yeah, not a problem. I'm more than happy to come on and talk about it. Yes, Trent. Um, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, Michelle has been talking about some of the endemic problems, the sy- systemic problems statewide. And you have been a law enforcement officer. You are now a private investigator. And you and I talked before this interview, and you talked some about some of the problems you saw when you were doing law enforcement. Can you share with them with us, please? In regards to Child Protective Services? Yes, please, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so, I mean, just like with anything else, it has its issues, of course. Um, there's biases, there's, there's corruption, there's things that get done administratively incorrectly, illegally in some cases. Uh, for, <clears throat> you know, the most part as a whole, I saw a lot of, you know, what is, you know, lean toward, uh, leans toward good versus the the bad side of that however i did see some things that um you know like i said with anything else that could have been done better or shouldn't have been done at all so i worked very closely with child protective services during my time in law enforcement um unfortunately it just came with the territory came with the job a lot of kids that would need to get removed from their their current living situation and placed with a friend family member or you know would have to go to some sort of foster care for a whole wide variety of reasons. Uh, but um, some of these cases um, weren't done so correctly, in my opinion. I mean, uh, you know, like I said, the, the vast majority of the experiences that I, I had with CPS were good, um, but they have a hard job. They really do. Uh, but, you know, one of the cases I'm investigating right now is a PI that uh, involves Mendocino County, actually. Um, there's some you know, policy violations, civil civil rights violations, and it's not just exclusive to Mendocino County. Um, it, it goes to other counties and states as well. It, it's kind of a flawed system, just like with a lot of other things, uh, you know, law enforcement as well, of course. But um, yeah, so it, it, it's hard because, you know, the, the bias aspect of that from what I've seen is some social workers, not all of them, of course. Uh, and then again, this could be said about any, you know, entity. Yes. I, I want to jump in your trend. I'm not trying to smear social workers in general. I just, I know many of them are probably do a very good job and have their hearts yeah. in the right place. So we want to be careful here. Thank you for pointing that out. Yeah, of course. And, and I like to articulate that fact, uh, you know, as I do with everything. But um, like I said, this is not just exclusive to CPS. This involves everything in every aspect of life, not just uh, child protective services. But I'm speaking on personal experiences here, of course, just like you asked me to do. So, um, yeah, no, I've, I've seen that, you know, there's biases like with anything else. I've, I've seen it to where the, uh, you know, a social worker somewhere in the state of California sides with one parent over the other uh, for a friendship um, because they're related to that person um, because they like what one side has to say more than the other one and they you know a lot of time not a lot of times but in certain circumstances they can make up their mind completely 100 percent. so they talk to parent a 
and parent A's whole side of the family. And by the time they get to parent B, their mind is completely made up. They don't even want to have hear what, uh, you know, parent B side has to say about anything, you know, and I've seen that in courtroom testimony as well as, you know, certain cases that I've been involved with, um, where they don't necessarily look at the evidence or what's necessarily best for the child in certain circumstances based on some of these biases. Again, I want to preface by stating that that is more or less an anomaly. It, it, it's not something that um, is exclusive, like I said, to 100% of social workers or CPS at all. It's just one of those things that does happen, you know, just like you have cops that commit crimes, you know, it, it's, it's something that unfortunately happens in that world. Yes. Well, this text back to, I'm sorry, we lost Michelle on the Zoom call. She, she, she cut off. I thought she was going to stay with us, but this text back to what she was talking about, which is that nobody looks over the social worker. Nobody examines, evaluates their performance. That sounds like what you're experiencing here too. Um, well, they have their, you know, in terms of examining their performance, they have their immediate supervisors, right? But, um, again, I, I've been involved in a case that, uh, goes down to Los Angeles and there was a massive civil suit against, I think it was four or five social workers down in LA and, um, some of them involved their supervisors. So it's like you have the supervisors that are overseeing these social workers that are, that are committing these, um, you know, in, in this circumstance, it was civil rights violations, but the, the, the supervisors were taking part as well. And, you know, they were found guilty and those sorts of things. But yeah, so the, the, they are checked, you know, just like anything else, but it would be by their immediate supervisor. Now, Child Protective Services has the ultimate say over everything in terms of uh, child placement. You know, it's them and a judge. Law enforcement does not. You know, we, we basically assist them uh, when there's a criminal element to these various things. Uh, we, I mean, I did. But uh, yeah, so it's, it, it's hard uh, because there's, um, yeah, like there's not a lot of checks and balances, unfortunately, with some of these entities that are in charge of people's lives. Mm -hmm. You also mentioned when you and I talked before, the, the some parents will weaponize the CPS. They'll say this, this uh, my my ex spouse did this or did that, and can you can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Yeah, that was. Very, 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 very common. That was one of the more common things that I saw when I was still in law enforcement. And, uh, where, yeah, parents will use the, they'll put the kid in the middle and they'll use it against the other one out of pure pettiness and vindictiveness and anger. And I'd say almost 100% of the time, there's zero validity to any of those accusations. I mean, there are some, of course. But the vast majority, I wouldn't, you know, say 99%, but the vast majority of the time, it's just one parent trying to get back at the other one. Uh, I, I've definitely seen that multiple times. And it's, it's um, you know, it gets to a point where they just pull these random accusations out of nowhere that really don't have anything to do with anything, but they think that it's going to stick. And it's because that parent doesn't understand how the law works, how the system works, CPS's policies and procedures, and it actually takes a decent amount for them to permanently revoke uh, one of the parents' you know rights 
one of the parental rights and, you know, deny visitation and all those sorts of things. So they actually don't know any better. You know, more, one of the more common ones having, you know, worked exclusively as a cop in Mendocino County is, uh, you know, one of the parents would always say, oh, so my, you know, my ex has a marijuana grow or they smoke weed or whatever. It's, you know, marijuana related in nature. And they don't seem to understand that just because that is occurring, it's not an automatic, your kid's going to get, you're going to get full custody of your, of your child. Mm. And they, they seem to think that that's going to be the case just because they make that accusation or they think that it, you know, if it's going to get investigated that because their, you know, X has a, you know, grows weed or smokes weed or, you know, whatever the case is in, in relation to that, that it's going to go in their favor. And it's like, no, that's not the case. This is this Mendocino County. Everybody grows, you know, it's a kind of a generalization, but a lot of people grow marijuana and it's basically legal in the state of California. Um, there's a lot of things that go into that. You know, does the child have access to marijuana? Are you smoking in front of your child? You know, is there anything else that can be, you know, cause for concern, you know, because we do know that there can be a criminal element when it comes to marijuana grows in certain circumstances, illegal firearms, um, other drugs in certain cases, you know, those sorts of things. But when it does get investigated and those other elements aren't there, they're not present, then CPS isn't necessarily going to take the child. But it's, yeah, it's one of those things where I saw that all the time. That was very common, unfortunately, because the child in that case, um, they suffer, you know, they're supposed to be doing, you know, what's best for their child or, you know, and CPS is too, that is their main function is to place a child in the safest, happiest, um, you know, situation that they can be in. And granted that doesn't always happen, but they do the best that they can. CPS does, do, you know, for the most part, they do that. But yeah, when you have two parents that are constantly squabbling or being petty and, and using the kid as a, as a instrument against the other, um, it makes CPS's job, you know, that much more challenging, but also law enforcement as well, because they're constantly calling us and, and would say, you know, oh, my ex did this now, or they did this, or they have a new boyfriend. I don't like them. And it's like, well, that doesn't really mean anything. So, um, right. yeah, there's a Tons lot of dear yeah, Abby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, that's what I'm saying. They would just create just, just these insane accusations that, like I said, it, it doesn't mean, and it, you know, they, they, that was actually, <laughs> That was another common one too. Like, oh, my, my ex has a new, uh, you know, boyfriend or girlfriend, whatever the case is. And I don't like them there. I, they, I just don't, they didn't like them for whatever the reason was not necessarily anything child abuse related or anything. And it's like, well, I don't want them around my kid. That's, you know, that's my kid. I have a right to say who's around my child. It's actually, no, you don't like, unless you have some sort of, you know, child abuse allegation there. Just, I mean, just because you don't want your, X's new significant other to be around your child that definitely does not warrant calling law enforcement for one or having CPS getting involved whatsoever. I mean, like I said, if there's some sort of valid accusation there, criminal in nature, um, or, you know, along the lines of child abuse, then of course we're going to investigate it to its full extent as does CPS. But yeah, just like I said, it was just another one of those things that, um, it would that some people would would call to think that you know was going to change the outcome of their custody order or something like that. Trent, you brought you brought up a point a moment ago that I really wanted to segue into. It was marijuana growing about marijuana growing, which is of course very very prevalent here in Mendocino County. We are in the Emerald Triangle after all. I know that many people, you know, we we passed legalization, but the vast majority 
of people that try and get trying to get legal aren't able to do it. There's so many roadblocks locally and state. Our our county, Mendocino, has an abysmal rate of permit approval, and I'm I know those parents feel vulnerable because they they're not they're not technically through the process. They want to be legal, they just can't get there. If cops show up their door, they're doing something on the federal level that's illegal. I know I know personally many parents they feel scared about this. If if you know if a comment comes out, whatever the sheriffs, the feds, whoever. And then a social worker shows up. Oh, you have marijuana here. Oh my goodness, we have to take your kids now. <laughs> so, in a county where marijuana growing is so prevalent, how do you? I just like, like open the door for you to talk about that. Right, and that's a you know multi-hour-long conversation there in terms <laughs> of the challenges and difficulties that citizens in the Mendocino County community face uh, in attempting to be legal and legit and the thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars that they have to forego in order to try to obtain that, you know, their legitimacy. And it's a very, again, that's a whole different topic, of course, right? And it's yeah. definitely, a, that's definitely a broken system. Absolutely. It is set up horrendously, not in favor of people that are trying to do it by the book. And it's really sad. And that's why a lot of people uh, just say, you know, screw it. I'm going to stay black market. I mean, but like I said, that's a different conversation. So yeah, yeah I mean, that is a, um, that is a valid fear, of course, you know, and that's going to be in the back of anybody's mind. I, I actually had that happen to a friend of mine, not that long ago. This is when I was not in law enforcement anymore, but yeah, same thing. He contacted me and said that his, um, <laughs> yeah, his ex was alleging, you know, the, to child protective services that he grew marijuana. And so him and I had a long conversation regarding that. <clears throat> and he actually, um, it's funny that you brought that up. That's what made me think of this is he's facing challenges, um, similar challenges in terms of the, the legalization aspect. He actually didn't grow anymore, um, but he did at one point, just like a lot of people do. But I, I, you know, and I can't speak for every situation. I mean, but what I would say is um, that issue needs to get fixed first so that people that are trying to do the right thing and trying to be legal don't have to worry about stuff like that, right? You don't have to worry about like, okay, my ex is going to say that I'm growing marijuana, but it's like, it should be okay because, you know, if they were able to have a normal functioning permitting process, they wouldn't even have to concern themselves with that, right? But um, I would say at the end of the day, from my experience and based on the fact that marijuana as a whole is and it's pretty much legal regardless. I mean, I know it is still federally a crime, but um, Comet, you know, it consists of, you know, Mendocino County consists of one or two guys, you know, and usually when they do hit the grows, they're, um, you know, uh, having other agencies assist them. And they're focusing on the trespass grows at this point, right? Like people growing on other people's land that they don't have a legal right to do so, uh, where they're creating um, other issues as well to, you know, crimes against the environment and those sorts of things. Those are the main concerns, but still, um, just being a regular, you know, I, I like to call mom and pop grower. It, it, it does create that natural fear, of course. And then they, they start to, you know, freak out naturally and think that their kids can get taken from them permanently. Um, again, that's kind of like a long winded response, but I would say that it's not, um, not necessarily going to be the case just because it is still federally illegal and hopefully that changes soon. But um, again, that, that just comes down to uh, the, the permitting process being not what it should be. Yes, uh, I know you're not here to, to fix that system. I, I just was trying to point out that 
their parents are legitimately using using marijuana, what they can make from marijuana, to put food on their table for the child and give them the house. And then somebody could show up and say, "Oh, you're dangering your kid by by what they're trying to what they're using to feed the kid." It's a really contradictory system. It it is it is. I I wholeheartedly agree with you. I mean, to play just devil's advocate a little bit, it kind of depends on the situation, though. I I when I was uh, you know working for the sheriff's office there, myself and CPS did um, take a I think it was a year and a half year old child from the parents because they brought their kids to the ER and the baby was sick and they ended up doing some tests on it and it tested positive for THC in high concentrated amounts. And what it, long story short, what had happened is the baby was crawling around on the floor and it ate some bud, marijuana bud, right? So, um, you know, we took the kid and uh, it, it, you know, it went from there. But it's, it's like, so that's what I mean. So it depends on the situation. It depends on the sure, yeah. environment. But I agree with you, like on its face, um, I, I don't have a problem with people that grow weed. I, I, I never have. You know, I lived in Ukiah my entire life, and I know a lot of people that grow marijuana. You know, they do it legitimately, and I've known people that don't. And uh, it's it's kind of one of those things where it's so common, uh, commonplace, and common culture in you know the Emerald Triangle uh, that I look at it a different way than than some others might. But you know, CPS does as well. But that's what I'm saying. Like all those factors go into play when it comes to custody of a child like i said if you have a if you have buds on the floor you're rolling you know blunts and 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 your papers and you have like you yeah, know, so I, th- scattered, I think we can agree or, that that's not a good situation for yeah a child. yeah but like if you have you know a legitimate contained marijuana garden that doesn't have you know your kid isn't going to go out there and start eating it or whatever i mean it's like it's more of a you know secured environment there's no, you know, you're not smoking marijuana in front of the, of your child or anything like that. You know, it, it's, I've seen that a lot too, where though there will be a grow or the parent does smoke marijuana and they still get to keep, you know, whatever it is, 50% custody of their child while the other parent that they're no longer with gets the other 50. So like I said, it's not a catch all for every situation. There's a lot of factors that go into determining what the outcome of those, those things are going to be in terms of guardianship. But, um, it, yeah, definitely is a cause for you know concern, and and it can be an issue. So when you answered those type of calls, and you went out with CPS, and say let's let's say that the case of the welfare of the child comes before the court, do they accept testimony from officers or just CPS people? I've actually. I guess never, what I'm getting. I've, I'm sorry. I'm in your. I guess what I'm getting at is, let's say you as an enforcement officer, you go out there. And in your mind, the child does not appear to be in grave harm, but what the social worker says they are. Um, so generally speaking, you know, when we would get these CPS cross reports or whatever it is, there's some sort of criminal element to these things, right? You know, child abuse, um, physical, emotional, whatever the case is going to be that we as cops because obviously CPS are not law enforcement, right? They're not going to put a criminal case against a parent. They're in charge of removal and placement of kids. That's their sole function. So if we, you know, we, I get, for example, I would get a, you know, CPS cross report that alleges, you know, some sort of, uh, 
yeah, criminal element involving physical child abuse, and I go out and investigate it to the best of my ability, and I determine that that's not the case. Um, you know, if CPS does further investigation, they do determine that there I missed something, there is a physical element there, then that's going to be something that we're always dragged back into on the law enforcement side. Um, but if they find something else that meets their requirement to remove the child, that's not necessarily that initial allegation, then they're going to have the ultimate authority over that, you know, and in terms of a judge, you know, I, I've testified a lot. I, I don't know how many times I've a lot in my career. Um, I've never had to testify for a child, you know, CPS placement um, or cross report or anything like that. I mean, at the end of the day, I think that, you know, if our reports that we do type up as cops go to the, you know, it goes to CPS and it could go to the district attorney's office, depending on the, the criminal allegation. But like I said, CPS is the one that makes that ultimate say, as well as a judge, of course, and they're more than likely going to, I mean, they're going to review the everything, right? But in terms of like me personally walking into a courtroom and having to testify and give my side of it, I've never personally had to do that. Uh, and I don't really know of anyone else that has either. I do know of certain circumstances where people should have been allowed to testify and were denied that right or, uh, you know, they weren't afforded that right to do so. And it changed the outcome of a, you know, of the custody situation. Um, but yeah, it, it just, it, it, there's so many different situations when it comes to those things. It's hard to, like I said, give a, a catch all answer for a lot of it. Yes. I'm wondering, I'd like to talk about what your thoughts are when people, I know you work in, in trying to get people to come forward with things that they know or ways that they have been undisturbed by the system. And what would you say to, to people, let's, let's, let's think about parents for a second here who are worried about, this, worried about retaliation if they come forward, if they are, are being unserved, disserved by CPS. Um, what can you what can people do to protect themselves to talk about their case but to not have retaliation do you have any suggestions about that retaliation in terms of the like the social workers themselves yeah or just uh, uh just jeopardizing their case of getting their kids back <sighs> yeah that's a that's a tough one um i do know of an incident where a social worker coerced a relative of a child to um, give a statement to something that she did not want to, but you know she basically got guilt tripped into it, and it ended up biting her in the butt later on, and it went the exact opposite way for her that it should have gone, right? Because it was a civil rights violation essentially. But that hasn't happened, you know, all the time. I'm not saying that, but it, it's one of those things that can. And I understand what you're asking for us, just because I know that it's. I know what you're getting at here, and, and I've, I've seen it before. But um, I, I always say, just like, just do the right thing. You know, if there's something that needs to get reported, report it. I mean, it, depending on what it is, because you don't want to not, and then the situation itself gets worse anyway when it could have been resolved. Because more than likely, you're going to get a fair deal out of it. You know, when it comes to, to law enforcement or social workers, CPS, whatever it is. Um, so, I mean, there's always that 
possibility, just like with anything in life. Right. But if it's, if it's something that, you know, you know, you should be reporting and it's the right thing to do. Like I said, at the end of the day, it's the, you know, physical and mental well-being of a child. You always have to put them before yourself. So if you get retaliated against, which shouldn't happen, you know, that's not right. Of course it's, it's, you know, um, then that's what, I mean, whatever, but it's like, at the end of the day, you have to do, um, your due diligence to try to protect that child. So you're going to have to run that risk. You know what I mean? Um, if that's what it takes, like I said, it's, it's, I'm kind of giving a generalized statement here in my opinion, but there's so many different situations and variables and factors to, to all these things. Like I've, I've kind of reiterated numerous times, but, um, yeah, I, I would still say just do what's right, do the right thing and, and be honest. And, um, you know, more than likely you're going to have a favorable outcome. Well, Trent, I just, we just got Michelle Chan back. She was our first guest and we have her back on now. So I'm going to ask, we're almost at eight o'clock already. I can't believe that how fast the hour has gone. So <laughs> yeah. Trent, I'll, I'll start with you. If you would make any close, would you like to make any closing statements about this or anything else? Please do. Uh, no, actually that kind of just closed it up there. That was a good, um, final question that she asked and that, you know, pretty much said everything that I had to stay on the subject. Okay, well, I thank you very much for being with us here tonight. Of course. And we'll go to Michelle, ask her the same question. Thanks. Well, Chris, I, I just want to thank you again so much for, for doing this show. And anyone that's listening, I, I just urge, we, in order for this system to change, we need the support of the general American public. We need good people out there to see our side of what's going on and to stand by us in our fight and to realize that child protective services means protecting the best interests and well-being in children and that means to preserve families when children want to have that want to have their family members and they have not been abused and neglected and it is in their best interest and that's not really happening okay michelle um trent made some of the same points you did he was a former law enforcement officer and he talked about different things that when he saw social workers there's basically he confirmed what you said there's not much oversight there and I would like you to tell our listeners how to contact you or what your website is uh, my website uh, I have two websites but um, my primary website is CaliforniaFamiliesRise.com um, I'm a writer I'm, I also do a podcast and, and I also just love to share and listen to stories so if anyone can just I, uh, I urge you to reach out um, reach out to me if you're an impacted parent or just a member of the public that wants to know more and wants to get involved. We need all hands on deck and please, please reach out to us. And I, I just really hope that, um, it reminds of your website, CaliforniaFamiliesRise.com. Okay, Michelle, we're going to have to go out. It's almost eight o'clock. We have a song and we have to be out of here at eight. Thank you again. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willitson Dukaya 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.